This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Colin McRoberts. The Last Man by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Volume 2, Chapter 2. On my arrival, I found that an order had already gone forth for the army to proceed immediately toward Constantinople, and the troops, which had suffered least in the battle, were already on their way. The town was full of tumult. The wound and consequent inability of Argyropolo caused Raymond to be the first in command. He rode through the town, visiting the wounded and giving such orders as were necessary for the siege he meditated early in the morning the whole army was in motion in the hurry i could already find an opportunity to bestow the last offices on evadne attended only by my servant i dug a deep grave for her at the foot of the tree and without disturbing her warrior shroud i placed her in it heaping stones upon the grave the dazzling sun and glare of daylight deprived the scene of solemnity from evadne's low tomb i joined raymond and his staff now on their way to the golden city Constantinople was invested, trenches dug and advances made. The whole Greek fleet blockaded it by sea, on land from the river Kayak Bana near the sweet waters to the tower of Marmosa on the shores of the Propontis. Along the whole line of the ancient walls, the trenches of the siege were drawn. We already possessed Pera, the golden horn itself, the city bastioned by the sea, and the ivy-mantled walls of the Greek emperors was all of Europe that the Mahometans could call theirs. Our army looked on her as certain prey. They counted the garrison. It was impossible that it should be revealed. Each sally was a victory, for even when the Turks were triumphant, the loss of men they sustained was an irreparable injury. I rode one morning with Raymond to the lofty mound, not far from the top capo, cannon gate, on which Mahumad planted his standard and first saw the city. Still, the same lofty domes and minarets towered above the verdurous walls where Constantinople had died, and the Turk had entered the city. The plain around was interspersed with cemeteries, Turk, Greek, and Armenian, with their growth of cypress trees, and other woods of more cheerful aspect diversified the scene. Among them, the Greek army was encamped, and their squadrons moved to and fro, now in regular march, now in swift career. Raymond's eyes were fixed on the city. I have counted the hours of her life, said he, one month, and she falls. Remain with me till then. Wait until you see the cross on St. Sophia, and then return to your peaceful glades. You, then, I asked, still remain in Greece? Assuredly, replied Raymond. Yet, Lionel, when I say this, believe me, I look back with regret on our tranquil life at Windsor. I am but half a soldier. I love the renown, but not the trade of war. Before the battle of Rodosto, I was full of hope and spirit. To conquer there, and afterwards to take Constantinople, was the hope, the born, the fulfillment of my ambition. This enthusiasm is now spent. I know not why. I seem to myself to be entering a darksome gulf. The ardent spirit of the army is irksome to me. The rapture of triumph, null. He paused, and was lost in thought. His serious mind, recalled by some association, the half-forgotten Evadne, to my mind, and I seized this opportunity to make inquiries from him concerning her strange lot. I asked him if he had ever seen among the troops any one resembling her, if since he had returned to Greece he had heard of her. He started at her name. He looked uneasy on me. Even so, he cried, I knew you would speak of her. Long, long I had forgotten her. Since our encampment here, she daily, hourly visits my thoughts. When I am addressed, her name is the sound I expect. In every communication, I imagine that she will form a part. 
at length you have broken the spell tell me what you know of her i related my meeting with her the story of her death was told and retold with painful earnestness he questioned me concerning her prophecies with regard to him i treated them as the ravings of a maniac no no he said do not deceive yourself me you cannot she has said nothing but what i knew before though this is confirmation fire the sword and plague they may all be found in yonder city on my head alone may they fall from this day raymond's melancholy increased he secluded himself as much as the duties of his station permitted when in company sadness would in spite of every effort steal over his features and they sat absent and mute among the busy crowd that thronged about him perdita rejoined him and before her he forced himself to appear cheerful for she even as a mirror changed as he changed and if he were silent and anxious she solicitously inquired concerning and endeavoured to remove the cause of his seriousness she resided at the palace of sweet waters a summer seraglio of the sultan the beauty of the surrounding scenery undefiled by war and the freshness of the river made this spot doubly delightful raymond felt no relief received no pleasure from any show of heaven or earth he often left perdita and wandered into the grounds alone or in a light shallop he floated idly on the pure waters musing deeply sometimes i joined him at such times his countenance was invariably solemn his air dejected he seemed relieved on seeing me and would talk with some degree of interest on the affairs of the day there was evidently something behind all this yet when he appeared about to speak of that which was nearest his heart he would abruptly turn away and with a sigh endeavour to deliver the painful idea to the winds it had often occurred that when as i said raymond quitted perdita's drawing-room clara came up to me and gently drawing me aside said papa is gone shall we go to him i dare say he will be glad to see you and as accident permitted i complied with or refused her request one evening a numerous assembly of greek chieftains were gathered together in the palace the intriguing pali the accomplished caraza the warlike ypsilanti were among the principal they talked of the events of the day the skirmish at noon the diminished numbers of infidels their defeat and flight they contemplated after a short interval of time the capture of the golden city they endeavoured to picture forth what would happen and spoke in lofty terms of the prosperity of greece when constantinople should become its capital the conversation then reverted to asiatic intelligence and the ravages the plague made in its chief cities conjectures were hazarded as to the progress that disease might have made in the besieged city raymond had joined the former part of the discussion in lively terms he demonstrated the extremities to which constantinople was reduced the wasted and haggard though ferocious appearance of the troops famine and pestilence was at work for them he observed and the infidels would soon be obliged to take refuge in their only hope submission suddenly in the midst of his harangue he broke off as if stung by some painful thought he rose uneasily and i perceived him at length quit the hall and through the long corridor seek the open air he did not return and soon clara crept round to me making the accustomed invitation i consented to her request and taking her little hand followed raymond we found him just about to embark on his boat and he readily agreed to us as companions after the heats of the day the cooling land breeze ruffled the river and filled our little sail the city looked dark to the south while numerous lights along the near shores and the beautiful aspect of the banks reposing in placid night the waters keenly reflecting 
the heavenly lights, gave to this beauteous river a dower of loveliness that might have characterized a retreat in paradise. Our single boatman attended to the sail. Raymond steered. Clara sat at his feet, clasping his knees with her arms and laying her head on them. Raymond began the conversation somewhat abruptly. This, my friend, is probably the last time we shall have an opportunity of conversing freely. My plans are now in full operation, and my time will become more and more occupied. Besides, I wish at once to tell you my wishes and expectations, and then never again to revert to so painful a subject. First, I must thank you, Lionel, for having remained here at my request. Vanity first prompted me to ask you. Vanity, I call it. Yet even in this... I see the hand of fate. Your presence will soon be necessary. You will become the last resource for Perdita, her protector and consoler. You will take her back to Windsor. Not without you, I said. You do not mean to separate again. Do not deceive yourself, replied Raymond. The separation at hand is one over which I have no control. Most near at hand is it. The days are already counted. May I trust you? For many days I have longed to disclose the mysterious presentiments that weigh on me, although I fear that you will ridicule them. Yet do not, my gentle friend, for, all childish and unwise as they are, they have become a part of me, and I dare not expect to shake them off. Yet how can I expect you to sympathize with me? You are of this world. I am not. You hold forth your hand. It is even as a part of yourself, and you do not yet divide the feeling of identity from the mortal form that shapes forth Lionel. How, then, can you understand me? Earth is to me a tomb, the firmament a vault, shrouding mere corruption. Time is no more, for I have stepped within the threshold of eternity. Each man I meet appears a corpse, which will soon be deserted of its animating spark on the eve of decay and corruption. Cada piedra om pyramid levanta y cada flor construye un momento cada efesio es un sepulcro altivo cada soldado un esqueleto vivo his accent was mournful he sighed deeply a few months ago he, i was thought to be but life was strong within me my affections were human hope and love were the day stars of my life now they dream that the brows of the conqueror of the infidel faith are about to be encircled by triumphant laurel. They talk of honorable reward, of title, power, and wealth. All I ask of Greece is a grave. Let them raise a mound above my lifeless body, which may stand even when the dome of St. Sophia has fallen. Wherefore do I feel this? At Rodosto I was full of hope, but when first I saw Constantinople, that feeling with every other joyful one departed. The last words of Evadne were the seal upon the warrant of my death, yet I do not pretend to account for my mood by any particular event. All I can say is that it is so. The plague, I am told, is in Constantinople. Perhaps I have imbibed its effluvia. Perhaps disease is the real cause of my prognostications. It matters little why or wherefore I am affected. No power can avert the stroke, and the shadow of fate's uplifted hand already darkens me. To you, Lionel, I entrust your sister and her child. Never mention to her the fatal name of Evadne. She would doubly sorrow over the strange link that enchains me to her, making my spirit obey her dying voice, following her as it is about to do to the unknown country. 
I listened to him with wonder, but that his sad demeanor and solemn utterance assured me of the truth and intensity of his feelings. I should, with light derision, have attempted to dissipate his fears. Whatever I was about to reply was interrupted by the powerful emotions of Clara. Raymond had spoken, thoughtless of her presence, and she, poor child, heard with terror and faith the prophecy of his death. Her father was moved by her violent grief, and took her in his arms and soothed her, but his very soothings were solemn and fearful. Weep not, sweet child, he said, the coming death of one you have already known. I may die, but in death I can never forget or desert my own Clara. In after sorrow or joy, believe that your father's spirit is near to save or sympathize with you. Be proud of me, and cherish your infant remembrance of me. Thus, sweetest, I shall not appear to die. I promise not speak to any one but your uncle of the conversation you have just overheard. When I am gone, you will console your mother, and tell her that death was only bitter because it divided me from her, that my last thoughts will be spent on her. But while I live, promise not to betray me. Promise, child. With faltering accents, Clara promised while she still clung to her father in a transport of sorrow. Soon we returned to shore, and I endeavored to obviate the impression made on the child's mind by treating Raymond's fears lightly. We heard no more of them, for as he had said, the siege, now drawing to a conclusion, became paramount in interest, engaging all his time and attention. The empire of the Mahometans in Europe was at its close. The Greek fleet, blockading every port of Stamboul, prevented the arrival of succor from Asia. All egress on the side toward land had become impracticable, except to such desperate sallies as reduced the number of the enemy without making any impression on our lines. The garrison was now so much diminished that it was evident that the city could easily have been carried by storm, but humanity and policy dictated a slower mode of proceeding. We could hardly doubt that, if pursued to the utmost, its palaces, its temples, and stores of wealth could be destroyed in the fury of contending triumph and defeat. Already the defenseless citizens had suffered through the barbarity of the Janissaries, and in time of storm, tumult, and massacre. Beauty, infancy, and decrepitude would have alike been sacrificed to the brutal ferocity of the soldiers. Famine and blockade were certain means of conquest. On these we founded our hopes of victory. Each day the soldiers of the garrison assaulted our advanced posts and impeded the accomplishment of our works. Fireboats were launched from various ports, while our troops sometimes recoiled from the devoted courage of men who did not seek to live but to sell their lives dearly. These contests were aggravated by the season. They took place during summer, when the southern Asiatic wind came laden with intolerable heat, when the streams were dried up in their shallow beds, and the vast basin of the sea appeared to glow under the unmitigated rays of the solstitial sun. Nor did night refresh the earth. Dew was denied. Herbage and flower were none. The very trees drooped, and summer assured the blighted appearance of winter as it went forth in silence and flame to abridge the means of sustenance to man. In vain did the eye strive to find the wreck of some northern cloud in the stainless Empyrean, which might bring hope of change and moisture to the oppressive and windless atmosphere. All was serene, burning, annihilating. We, the besiegers, 
or the comparison little affected by these evils. The woods around afforded us shade. The river secured to us a constant supply of water. Nay, detachments were employed in furnishing the army with ice, which had been laid up on Hamus and Athos and the mountains of Macedonia, while cooling fruits and wholesome food renovated the strength of the laborers and made us bear with less impatience the weight of the unrefreshing air. But in the city things wore a different face. The sun's rays were refracted from the pavement and buildings. The stoppage of the public fountains, the bad quality of the food, and scarcity, even of that, produced a state of suffering, which was aggravated by the scourge of disease. While the garrison arrogated every superfluity to themselves, adding by waste and riot to the necessary evils of the time, still they would not capitulate suddenly the system of warfare was changed we experienced no more assaults and by night and day we continued our labors unimpeded stranger still when the troops advanced near the city the walls were vacant and no cannon was pointed against the intruders when these circumstances were reported to raymond he caused minute observations to be made as to what was doing with the walls and when his scouts returned reporting only the continued silence and desolation of the city he commanded the army to be drawn out before the gates no one appeared on the walls the very portals though locked and barred seemed unguarded above the many domes the glittering crescents pierced heaven while the old walls survivors of ages with ivy-crowned tower and weed-entangled buttress stood as rocks in an uninhabited waste from within the city neither shout nor cry nor aught except the casual howling of a dog broke the noonday stillness even our soldiers were awed to silence the music paused the clang of arms was hushed each man asked his fellow in whispers the meaning of this sudden peace while raymond from in height endeavored classes to discover and observe the stratagem of the enemy no form could be discerned on the terraces of the houses in the higher parts of the town no moving shadow bespoke the presence of any living being the very trees waved not and mocked the stability of architecture with like immovability the tramp of horses distinctly heard in the silence was at length discerned it was a troop sent by caraza the admiral they bore dispatches to the lord general the contents of these papers were important the night before the watch on board one of the smaller vessels anchored near the seraglio wall was roused by a slight splashing of muffled oars the alarm was given twelve small boats each containing three janizaries were descried endeavoring to make their way through the fleet to the opposite shore of scutari when they found themselves discovered they discharged their muskets and some came to the front to cover the others whose crews exerting all their strength endeavored escape with their light barks from among the dark hulls that environed them they were in the end all sunk and with the exception of two or three prisoners the crews drowned little could be got from the survivors but their cautious answers caused it to be surmised that several expeditions had preceded this last and that several turks of rank and importance had been conveyed to asia the men disdainfully repelled the idea of having deserted the defence of their city and one the youngest among them in answer to the taunt of a sailor exclaimed take it christian dogs take the palaces the gardens the mosques the abode of our fathers take plague with them pestilence is the enemy we fly if she be your friend hug her to your bosoms the curse of allah is on stambul share ye her fate
such was the account sent by Carraza to raymond but a tale full of monstrous exaggerations though founded on this was spread by the accompanying troop among our soldiers a murmur arose the city was the prey of pestilence already had a mighty power subjugated the inhabitants death had become lord of constantinople i have heard a picture described wherein all the inhabitants of earth were drawn out in fear to stand the encounter of death the feeble and decrepit fled the warriors retreated though they threatened even in flight wolves and lions and various monsters of the desert roared against him while the grim unreality hovered shaking his spectral dart a solitary but invisible assailant even so was it with the army of greece i am convinced that had the myriad troops of asia come from over the propontis and stood defenders of the golden city each and every greek would have marched against the overwhelming numbers and have devoted himself with patriotic fury for his country but here no hedge of bayonets opposed itself no death-dealing artillery no formidable array of brave soldiers the unguarded walls afforded easy entrance the vacant palaces luxurious dwellings but above the dome of st sophia the superstition saw pestilence and shrunk in trepidation from her influence raymond was actuated by far other feelings he described the hill with a face beaming with triumph and pointing with his sword to the gates commanded his troops too down with those barricades the only obstacles now to completest victory the soldiers answered his cheerful words with aghast and awestruck looks instinctively they drew back and raymond rode in front of the lines by my sword i swear he cried that no ambush or stratagem endangers you the enemy is already vanquished the pleasant places the noble dwellings and spoil of the city are already yours force the gate enter and possess the seats of your ancestors your own inheritance an universal shudder and fearful whispering passed through the lines not a soldier moved cowards exclaimed their general exasperated give me an hatchet i alone will enter i will plant your standard and when you see it wave from yon highest minaret you may gain courage and rally around it one of the officers now came forward general he said we neither fear the courage nor arms the open attack nor secret ambush of the moslems we are ready to expose our breasts exposed ten thousand times before to the balls and scimitars of the infidels and to fall gloriously for greece but we will not die in heaps like dogs poisoned in summer-time by the pestilential air of that city we dare not go against the plague a multitude of men are feeble and inert without a voice a leader give them that and they regain the strength belonging to their numbers shouts from a thousand voices now rent the air the cry of applause became universal raymond saw the danger he was willing to save his troops from the crime of disobedience for he knew that contention once begun between the commander and his army each act and word added to the weakness of the former and bestowed power on the latter he gave orders for the retreat to be sounded and the regiment repaired in good order to the camp i hastened to carry the intelligence of these strange proceedings to perdita and we were soon joined by raymond he looked gloomy and perturbed my sister was struck by my narrative how beyond the imagination of man she exclaimed are the decrees of heaven wondrous and inexplicable foolish girl cried raymond angrily are you like my valiant soldiers panic-struck what is there inexplicable pray tell me in so very natural an occurrence does not the plague rage each year in istambul 
what wonder that this year when as we are told its virulence is unexampled in asia that it should have occasioned double havoc in that city what wonder then in time of siege want extreme heat and drought that it should make unaccustomed ravages less wonder far from it that the garrison despairing of being able to hold out longer should take advantage of the negligence of our fleet to escape at once from siege and capture it is not pestilence by the god that lives it is not either plague or impending danger that makes us like birds in harvest time terrified by a scarecrow abstain from the ready prey it is base superstition and thus the aim of the valiant is made the shuttlecock of fools the worthy ambition of the high-souled the plaything of these tamed hares but yet stambol shall be ours by my past labours by torture and imprisonment suffered for them by my victories by my sword i swear by my hopes of fame by my former deserts now awaiting their reward i deeply vow with these hands to plant the cross on yonder mosque dearest raymond interrupted perdita in a supplicating accent he had been walking to and fro in the marble halls of the seraglio his very lips were pale with rage while quivering they shaped his angry words his eyes shot fire his gestures seemed restrained by their very vehemence perdita he continued impatiently i know what you say i know that you love me that you were good and gentle but this is no woman's work nor can a female heart guess at the hurricane which tears me he seemed half afraid of his own violence and suddenly quitted the hall a look from perdita shewed me her distress and i followed him he was pacing the garden his passions were in a state of inconceivable turbulence am i for ever he cried to be the sport of fortune must man the heaven-climber be for ever the victim of the crawling reptiles of his species were i as you lionel looking forward to many years of life to a succession of love enlightened days to refined enjoyments and fresh springing hopes i might yield and breaking my general staff seek repose in the glades of windsor but i am about to die nay interrupt me not soon i shall die from the many-peopled earth from the sympathies of man from the loved resorts of my youth from the kindness of my friends from the affection of my only beloved perdita i am about to be removed such is the will of fate such the decree of the high ruler from whom there is no appeal to whom i submit but to lose all to lose with life and love glory also it shall not be i and in a few brief years all you this panic-struck army and all the population of fair greece will no longer be but other generations will arise and ever and forever will continue to be made happier by our present acts to be glorified by our valor the prayer of my youth was to be one among those who render the pages of earth's history splendid who exalt the race of man and make this little globe a dwelling of the mighty alas for raymond the prayer of his youth is wasted the hopes of his manhood are null from my dungeon in yonder city i cried soon i will be thy lord when evadne pronounced my death i thought that the title of victor of constantinople would be written on my tomb and i subdued all mortal fear i stand before its vanquished walls and dare not call myself a conqueror so shall it not be did not alexander leap from the walls of the city of the oxidrace 
to shew his coward troops the way to victory encountering alone the sword of its defenders even so will i brave the plague and though no man follow i will plant the grecian standard in the heights of saint sophia reason came unavailing to such high-wrought feelings in vain i shewed him that when the winter came the cold would dissipate the pestilential air and restore courage to the greeks talk not of other season than this he cried i have lived my last winter and the date of this year twenty ninety two will be carved upon my tomb already do i see it he continued looking up mournfully the born and precipitate edge of my existence over which i plunge into the gloomy mystery of the life to come i am prepared so that i leave behind a trail of light so radiant that my worst enemies cannot cloud it i owe this to greece to you to my surviving perdita and to myself the victim of ambition we were interrupted by an attendant who announced that the staff of raymond was assembled in the council chamber he requested me in the meantime to ride through the camp and to observe and report to him the dispositions of the soldiers he then left me i had been excited to the utmost by the proceedings of the day and now more than ever by the passionate language of raymond alas for human reason he accused the greeks of superstition what name did he give to the faith he lent to the predictions of evadne i passed from the palace of sweet waters to the plain on which the encampment lay and found its inhabitants in commotion the arrival of several with fresh stories of marvels from the fleet the exaggerations bestowed on what was already known tales of old prophecies of fearful histories of whole regions which had been laid waste during the present year by pestilence alarmed and occupied the troops discipline was lost the army disbanded itself each individual before a part of a great whole moving only in unison with others now became resolved into the unit nature had made him and thought of himself only they stole off at first by ones and twos then in larger companies until unimpeded by the officers whole battalions sought the road that led to macedonia about midnight i returned to the palace and sought raymond he was alone and apparently composed such composure at least was his as is inspired by the resolve to adhere to a certain line of conduct he heard my account of the self-dissolution of the army with calmness and then said you know verney my fixed determination not to quit this place until in the light of day stamboul is confessedly ours if the men i have about me shrink from following me others more courageous are to be found go you before break of day bear these dispatches to caraza add to them your own entreaties that he send me his marines and naval force if i can get but one regiment to second me the rest would follow of course let him send me this regiment i shall expect your return by to-morrow noon methought this was but a poor expedient but i assured him of my obedience and zeal i quitted him to take a few hours rest with the breaking of morning i was accruited for my ride i lingered a while desirous of taking leave of perdita and from my window observed the approach of the sun the golden splendor arose and weary nature awoke to suffer yet another day of heat and thirsty decay no flowers lifted up their dew-laden cups to meet the dawn the dry grass had withered on the plains the burning fields of air were vacant of birds the cicale alone children of the sun began their shrill and deafening song among the cypresses and olives i saw raymond's coal-black charger brought to the palace gate 
a small company of officers arrived soon after care and fear was painted on each cheek and in each eye unrefreshed by sleep i found raymond and perdita together he was watching the rising sun while with one arm he encircled his beloved's waist she looked on him the son of her life with earnest gaze of mingled anxiety and tenderness raymond started angrily when he saw me here still he cried is this your promised zeal pardon me i said but even as you speak i am gone nay pardon me he replied i have no right to command or reproach but my life hangs on your departure and speedy return farewell his voice had recovered its bland tone but a dark cloud still hung on his features i would have delayed i wished to recommend watchfulness to perdita but his presence restrained me i had no pretence for my hesitation and on his repeating his farewell i clasped his outstretched hand it was cold and clammy take care of yourself my dear lord i said nay said perdita that task shall be mine return speedily lionel with an air of absence he was playing with her auburn locks while she leaned on him twice i turned back again on this matchless pair at last with slow and heavy steps i had paced out of the hall and sprung upon my horse at that moment clara flew toward me clasping my knee she cried make haste back uncle dear uncle i have such fearful dreams i dare not tell my mother do not be long away i assured her of my impatience to return and then with a small escort rode along the plain toward the tower of marmora i fulfilled my commission i saw caraza he was somewhat surprised he would see he said what could be done but it required time and raymond had ordered me to return by noon it was impossible to effect anything in so short a time i must stay till the next day or come back after having reported the present state of things to the general my choice was easily made a restlessness a fear of what was about to betide a doubt as to raymond's purposes urged me to return without delay to his quarters quitting the seven towers i rode eastward toward the sweet waters i took circuitous path principally for the sake of going to the top of the mount before mentioned which commanded a view of the city i had my glass with me the city basked under the noonday sun and the venerable walls formed its picturesque boundary immediately before me was the top of Kapu, the gate near which mohammed had made the breach by which he entered the city trees gigantic and aged grew near before the gate i discerned a crowd of moving human figures with intense curiosity i lifted my glass to my eye i saw lord raymond on his charger a small company of officers had gathered about him and behind was a promiscuous course of soldiers and subalterns their discipline lost their arms thrown aside no music sounded no banners streamed the only flag among them was the one raymond carried he pointed with it to the gate of the city the circle round him fell back with angry gestures he leapt from his horse and seizing a hatchet that hung from his saddle-bow went with the apparent intention of battering down the opposing gate a few men came to aid him their numbers increased under their united blows the obstacle was vanquished gate portcullis and fence were demolished and the wide sunlit way leading to the heart of the city now lay open before them the men shrank back they seemed afraid of what they had already done and stood as if they expected some mighty phantom to stalk in offended majesty from the opening raymond sprung lightly to his horse grasped the standard and with words which i could not hear but his gestures being their fit accompaniment were marked by passionate energy he seemed to adjure their assistance and companionship 
even as he spoke the crowd receded from him indignation now transported him his words i guessed were fraught with disdain then turning from his coward followers he addressed himself to enter the city alone his very horse seemed to back from the fatal entrance his dog his faithful dog lay moaning and supplicating in his path in a moment more he had plunged the rowels into the side of the stunning animal who bounded forward and he the gateway passed was galloping up the broad and desart street until this moment my soul had been in my eyes only i had gazed with wonder mixed with fear and enthusiasm the latter feeling now predominated i forgot the distance between us i will go with these raymond i cried but my eye removed from the glass i could scarce discern the pygmy forms of the crowd which about a mile from me surrounded the gate the form of raymond was lost stung with impatience i urged my horse with force of spur and loosened reins down the acclivity that before danger could arrive i might be at the side of my noble godlike friend a number of buildings and trees intervened when i had reached the plain hiding the city from my view but at that moment a crash was heard thunder-like it reverberated through the sky while the air was darkened a moment more and the old walls again met my sight while over them hovered a murky cloud fragments of buildings rolled above half seen in the smoke while flames burst out beneath and continued explosions filled the air with terrific thunders flying from the mass of falling ruin which leapt over the high walls and shook the ivy towers a crowd of soldiers made for the road by which i came i was surrounded hemmed in by them unable to get forward my impatience rose to its utmost i stretched out my hands to the men i conjured them to turn back and save their general the conqueror of stamboul the liberator of greece tears i tears in warm flow gushed from my eyes i would not believe in his destruction yet every mass that darkened the air seemed to bear with it a portion of the martyred raymond horrible sights were shaped to me in the turbid cloud that hovered over the city and my own relief was derived from the struggles i made to approach the gate yet when i effected my purpose all i could discern with the precincts of the massive walls was a city of fire the open way through which raymond had ridden was enveloped in smoke and flame after an interval the explosion ceased but the flames still shot up from various quarters the dome of saint sophia had disappeared strange to say the result perhaps of the concussion of air occasioned by the blowing up city huge white thunder-clouds lifted themselves up from the southern horizon and gathered overhead they were the first blots on the blue expanse that i had seen for months and amid this havoc and despair they inspired pleasure the vault above became obscured lightning flashed from the heavy masses followed instantaneously by crashing thunder then the big rain fell the flames of the city bent beneath it and the smoke and dust arising from the ruins was dissipated i no sooner perceived an abatement of the flames than hurried on by an irresistible impulse i endeavored to penetrate the town i could only do this on foot as the mass of ruin was impracticable for a horse i had never entered the city before and its ways were unknown to me the streets were blocked up the ruins smoking i climbed up one heap only to view others in suspicion and nothing told me where the centre of the town might be or toward what point raymond might have directed his course the rain ceased the clouds sunk behind the horizon 
It was now evening, and the sun descended swiftly the western sky. I scrambled on until I came to a street whose wooden houses, half burnt, had been cooled by the rain, and were fortunately uninjured by the gunpowder. Up this I hurried, until now I had not seen a vestige of man, yet none of the defaced human forms which I distinguished could be Raymond, so I turned my eyes away, while my heart sickened within me. I came to an open space, a mountain of ruin in the midst. I announced that some large mosque had occupied the space, and here, scattered about, I saw various articles of luxury and wealth, singed, destroyed, but shewing what they had been in their ruin. Jewels, strings of pearls, embroidered robes, rich furs, glittering tapestries, and oriental ornaments seemed to have been collected here in a pile destined for destruction but the rain had stopped the havoc midway hours passed while in this scene of ruin i sought for raymond insurmountable heaps sometimes opposed themselves the still burning fires scorched me the sun set the atmosphere grew dim and the evening star no longer shone companionless the glare of flames attested the progress of destruction well during mingled light and obscurity the piles around me took gigantic proportions and weird shapes for a moment i could yield to the creative power of the imagination and for a moment was soothed by the sublime fictions it presented to me the beatings of my human heart drew me back to blank reality where in this wilderness of death art thou o raymond ornament of england deliverer of greece hero of unwritten story where in this burning chaos are thy dear relics strewed i called aloud for him through the darkness of night over the scorching ruins of fallen constantinople his name was heard no voice replied echo even was mute i was overcome by weariness the solitude depressed my spirits the sultry air impregnated with dust the heat and smoke of burning palaces palsied my limbs hunger suddenly came acutely upon me the excitement which had hitherto sustained me was lost as a building whose props are loosened and whose foundations rock totters and falls so when enthusiasm and hope deserted me did strength did my strength fail i sat on the sole remaining step of an edifice which even in its downfall was huge and magnificent a few broken walls not dislodged by gunpowder stood in fantastic groups and a flame glimmered at intervals on the summit of the pile for a time hunger and sleep contended till the constellations reeled before my eyes and then were lost i strove to rise but my heavy lids closed my limbs overwearied claimed repose i rested my head on the stone i yielded to the grateful sensation but her forgetfulness and in that scene of desolation on that night of despair i slept end of volume two chapter two